0: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino, the The big big dinosaur dinosaur podcast podcast. where we cover news, interviews, and discussions of all
1: things dinosaur.
2: Hello and welcome to I Know Dino. I'm Garrett.
1: And I'm Sabrina.
2: And today we'll be talking about Styracosaurus. We have an interview with Brad Jost from the Jurassic Park podcast and some news. Before we get started, we just want to mention our Patreon page again. We're up to four patrons at $43 a month, which is only $7 away from our first goal of getting $50 a month so that we can buy some new equipment. It's going to cost a lot more than that, but we're willing to put in a bunch of money so that we can make this sound better. I know that it frustrates some of your listeners, and it's definitely worth it to us to have some good equipment that makes us sound better and makes our interviewees easier to understand.
1: Thank you to our patrons so far. We really appreciate your support.
2: Yeah, and we've already gotten some great feedback at our $10 or more a month level where you can ask questions...
1: And we let you know ahead of time which dinosaurs we're covering next, as well as who we're interviewing, and give you the opportunity to share some questions that we can ask our interviewees.
2: Yeah, so if you'd like to contribute to our page, you can go to patreon.com slash Dino, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Thanks again for the support. First in the news is an article published in the Journal of Anatomy titled... Ankylosaurid dinosaur tail clubs evolved through stepwise acquisition of key features by Victoria M. Arbor and Philip J. Curry, who we interviewed on the podcast earlier. The article summarizes one question in particular, which is, how did ankylosaurids evolve their club? So a quick background on the phylogeny of ankylosaurids, because I know it can be a little confusing. They all start with ankylosaur or something or other. So ankylosauria is the family of four-legged armored dinosaurs that were around way back from the middle Jurassic all the way until the KT extinction. So they were around for a really long time period, and obviously any group of dinosaurs that was around for such a long time went through a lot of evolution over the years. Ankylosauria includes most of the known dinosaurs that had armor, and almost all of them that had tail clubs, and you probably easily recognize them. They're very bulky with four legs and had lots of what are called osteoderms all over their body to protect them. Ankylosauridae, or ankylosaurids, are the group in ankylosauria that had a characteristic bony tail club, and it's what I always think of when I think of ankylosaur. It includes my favorite dinosaur, Ankylosaurus, and they were even wider than other members of Ankylosauria, and some of them even had armored eyelids and other extreme armor. They're very heavy and huge. Awesome. (laughs) So Arbor and Curry were interested in the evolution of the tail club because they recognized that it's an exceptionally unique adaptation, and there are only a couple other examples of animals evolving tail clubs in all of animal history. There are glyptodonts, which are extinct, huge armadillo-like animals that had tail clubs. And I think they're in Jurassic Park Builder, the video game, right?
1: Yeah, that sounds right.
2: There's also myelania, which is an extinct type of turtle that had spiky tails. And strangely, it kind of had a head that looked a lot like an ankylosaurus. And then the only other two that they mentioned in their article are... Mementiosaurus and Shunosaurus, which are two sauropods that also appeared to have tail clubs. But obviously, since ankylosaurs were around for such a long time, and there are so many different genus and species of them, they were the real focus of this article, and it gives the most understanding of how a tail club might evolve. So, what they found in their research is that the earliest ankylosaurians had fully flexible tails. So these are the ones in Ankylosauria, not ankylosaurids yet. Yet. It was basically like any other dinosaur tail, except that they had a little bit of extra armor. Then after about 50 million years or so, the tail end fused into a real stiff piece. If you imagine the last 5 to 10 vertebrae getting fused into a solid, kind of like a bat, I guess. And then finally, about another 50 or so million years, they evolved a club at the end of that stiff tail. And now you've really got a weapon because you've got a big chunk of mass and you've gone from having a bat to having a hammer, basically. So that's when they were at a point where a large predator came up to them. And if they wagged that tail at them, it would not really want to attack because it could break a bone. Basically, they believe that they've shown the path of evolution from a typical tail to an awesome club tail, and it all starts with fusing those bones and then later on big osteoderms on the end to make a big club. The full article is available online, and we'll post a link on our blog.
1: The game Ark Survival Evolved recently hosted an eSport competition called Ark Survival of the Fittest, and this happened on September 2nd. There were 35 teams of two two people in each team, that competed to stay alive the longest in the game, and they were called Tribes. Then the last tribe standing won $20,000, along with gaming gear from Logitech and Gunner Optics. Second place won $10,000, and third place won $5,000, so it sounds like it was a pretty big deal. It was a a 4.5 hour long event that was streamed on Twitch, and it was one of the first esports competitions that focused on survival instead of battle arenas and shooting. And we've talked about Ark before, it's a survival game, it's currently in either pre-alpha or alpha stages, and it's a game where dinosaurs roam free, and players have to find resources, build shelter, and basically do what the people on the show Naked and Afraid do, if you ever watch that show. It's two people who have to survive in the middle of nowhere for 21 days and build shelter and do all those things. So, similar except, you know, a game.
2: And with dinosaurs trying to attack you.
1: Exactly. So To make this competition even more intense, Studio Wildcard, which makes the game, threw in some additional challenges that reading about reminded me of Hunger Games. So it's kind of an interesting mix going on here. One of the examples was a red mist that appeared and turned all animals, even friendly herbivores, into rabid beasts, which is kind of, I remember Hunger Games had its own mist, although I think that was acid, but similar idea. So it sounded like it was quite the competition.
2: Yeah, we've played a little bit of that game, but I'm not very good yet. (laughs) And last time I tried to play, it was kind of difficult to find server space because it was so popular that everybody was filling up all the servers, having a good time. All right, next in the news is an article that was published in Gondwana Research titled A Large Clawed Theropod from Lower Cretaceous of Australia and the Gondwanan Origin of Megaraptorid Theropods. So in episode 40, we talked about a dinosaur fossil that was discovered in Australia that was made from opal. It was specifically, it was at the Lightning Ridge in the Grimmin Creek Formation in north central New South Wales in Australia. And in that episode, we mentioned that many of the dinosaurs discovered in Australia have similarities with dinosaurs found in South America, Antarctica, and Africa, also known as the supercontinent Gondwana if you're up on your ancient supercontinents. Despite all those modern continents formerly being smooshed together in Gondwana, Australia was, quote, previously regarded as an evolutionary cul-de-sac where dinosaurs came to die, said Dr. Bell from the article. So basically, previously they thought that dinosaurs would evolve in other parts of the supercontinent and then they would get to Australia eventually, but nothing new really happened there, nothing exciting. They're describing this new find as a Megaraptorid, but they still haven't named it. And if you don't remember Megaraptorids, they're closely related to Fuquiraptor, which we discussed in episode 32. So you can listen to that if you want to hear about a similar dinosaur. The authors reiterate that Megaraptor is still a controversial clad and may be included within the Carcharodontosaurian or a Tyrannosauroid lineage but it's still up for debate where Megaraptoridae really fits in the phylogenetics. So the authors say that this is Australia's largest known predatory dinosaur, and the only other known from more than one bone is Australovenator, which is estimated to be about 2 meters or 6.6 feet tall at the hip and about 6 meters or 20 feet long. This new find is about 10 million years younger than Australovenator, and probably about five feet or two meters longer according to the authors they believe that this species shows that australia was the origin of megaraptoridae they say quote rigorous paleogeographic analysis support an asian origin of megaraptora in the latest jurassic about 150 to 135 million years ago and early cretaceous about 130 to 121 million years ago divergence of Gondwanan lineage leading to Megaraptoridae and an Australian route for the Megaraptorid radiation, end quote. In an interview with Dr. Bell, he said Australia was, quote, a nursery rather than a graveyard for dinosaurs who went on to become successful predators elsewhere, end quote. So it's pretty neat that Australia has a new big carnivorous dinosaur to kind of point to as their own rather than just this footnote in the ends of other lineages from other continents. So pretty exciting.
1: Next in the news, an article about paleo artist Julius Satonyi, and I'm sorry if I mispronounced that name. He is according to Dr. Philip Curry, quote, one of the people that paleontologists want to work with most. And in CTV News, he explains his process for drawing dinosaurs and other extinct animals, which includes drawing a sketch, then working with photos and other data and going back and forth to make the sketch as accurate as possible, then posing the animal to emphasize whatever the scientific paper on them is emphasizing, and sometimes hiding parts of the anatomy that are not known about. And of course, using your imagination is a really important component. We'll post a link in our blog if you want to see more details, but it's kind of cool seeing more inside look into how a paleo artist works. Last... Thanks to one of our patrons, Cole, who shared with us this link to the Kickstarter page. It's for a prehistoric park tycoon simulator game called Mesozoica. And Mesozoica is, according to the Kickstarter page, quote, a theme park simulator in the vein of Jurassic Park Operation Genesis, a game where you take prehistoric creatures and create several scenarios in a theme park of your own design, a land of opportunity where the player has free control over what he or she puts into her park, what she charges to enter the park, and how the prehistoric creatures look and create. Mesozoica is different because it is evolutionary. It is one of the only tycoon games to let you play the game through several different perspectives as well as an optional but immense quest system. The project is also making strides in customization, which should allow the player to change everything from how their creatures look to how they react." End quote. And the graphics look great on the page. So far, they have over $19,000 pledged of their $50,000 goal, and the campaign lasts until October 5th, so we'll post a link in our blog in case you want to take a look. And that wraps up the news. And now for our special guest, Brad Jost, who is the creator of the podcast Jurassic Park Pod, which covers news, sound bites, polls, and more on the Jurassic Park and Jurassic World movies.
3: Welcome, Brad. Hey, how's
1: it going? Pretty good. Thanks for coming on our
3: show.
0: Yeah, no problem. This is gonna be fun.
3: (laughs) So, can you tell us a little bit about your podcast?
0: All right. Well, uh, yeah, I run the uh, the Jurassic Park podcast, and basically, what I try to do is just inform everybody about upcoming news. And we do little discussion segments about the movies and try to, you know, find parallels between the different movies. And, you know, we just try to build the discussion basically just off the movies. And every now and then we'll we'll intertwine discussion about different dinosaurs and things like that. But our main focus is the movies. And with Jurassic World just coming out, we've had a ton to talk about. So.
3: Is that what inspired you to create the Jurassic Park podcast?
0: Just recently, yes, I guess I guess you could say that. But I've been dying to do this for a while. I actually ran a different podcast about music a while back, and I had all kinds of issues with my computer and my software, and I basically gave that up. And, uh, you know, just recently I figured it all out again, and it was the right time to start up the Jurassic Park podcast, I think.
3: So I went with it. (laughs) Definitely. We've listened to a few episodes, and you've got, like, news clips and sound bites, and it's just beautifully produced. And (laughs) 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 So how do you decide what to cover each week? Uh,
0: Well, basically, I just kind of scour the internet or, you know, uh, keep my eye open on Twitter for different followers if they're going to send me some emails or news, you know, articles or anything like that. So I just kind of keep my eye out and look for any kind of dinosaur news that may pop up or specifically like casting news for the movies or, you know, maybe the director had some sort of comment on an article somewhere. So I just kind of review all that kind of stuff and uh, just pick and choose and then go ahead and read them on the podcast.
3: Do you have a favorite movie?
0: Out of those four?
3: Yeah. Um
0: well, it's gotta be the first one. The first Jurassic Park. (laughs) I think it's it's like a near flawless movie, so that's gotta be my go to answer.
3: Yeah. I think we're in agreement on that. Yeah, for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how you could vote against that one. I mean Jurassic World is really great. I love it a lot. I mean, you could find some flaws. I'm surely you could find some with Jurassic Park too, but it's just it's the nostalgia and The fact that it's been around for, you know, over 22 years now, I guess. So, it's definitely my favorite.
3: Do you have a favorite dinosaur? (sighs)
0: Um, you know, I kind of just go with, like, you know, the main one that everybody chooses. I just go with the T-Rex. And, you know, it's just basically based off the movies. I just love the way it's represented. And, you know, I could say raptor, but, you know, it's not like a true, real-life raptor. So... It's you know it would be a movie version of the raptor I guess but uh, definitely the T Rex for me.
3: Yeah, we we've talked a lot about the raptor, how it's not really a, a velociraptor in the yeah. movies. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of like yeah, you know tower. they took some
0: liberties definitely, but and and now it's just the perceived version of it, and I'm okay with it. But um, you know maybe eventually they'll go ahead and you know throw some feathers on it or something.
2: Yeah, what did you think about in the third movie, they did add some feathers, but then it seemed like in Jurassic World, they got rid of them all again.
0: Yeah, I don't know what that choice was. You know, it was the, I believe it was the male version of the raptor in that movie. It had like the little quills or mm-hmm. feathers coming out the back, and I thought that was a great choice. I think that design is probably one of the, the coolest designs out of all of the, uh, the film raptors. Um, I don't know why they chose to take them away, you know. With all the uproar about not having feathers on these raptors recently, you'd think they'd make that decision to add them. But I think they kind of um, dispelled that in the film by saying, you know, these are, are hybrids and they're genetically modified and that they don't look like this in real life. So I think they kind of took that aspect in the film to kind of get away from those um, rumors and everything.
3: Yeah. So I like to ask everybody we talk to you, how did you get into dinosaurs?
0: Well, I mean, just growing up as a little boy, you you just—it's like one of your go-to things, you know. You you have the toys lying around, and then I think I always had books, um, all kinds of dinosaur books. And there was these these like mail-away things where you'd get like a little pamphlet or or something like that, and it, you'd unfold it and it'd have all kinds of dinosaurs inside. And specifically, I remember I had like a dinosaur placemat at the dinner table that I would loved having. So. I think just being a kid, you just kind of collect all these things and all of a sudden you're a dinosaur fan. And then obviously the movies came out at the right time. And I was just obsessed at that point.
3: Does your background have anything to do with, you mentioned that you had done a podcast before, but I guess, do you normally work with dinosaur things or? Um, no, (laughs) no,
0: I mean, uh, this is the extent of my dinosaur history. I guess I kind of used to know a ton more about dinosaurs, and it kind of waned, you know, as I started to grow up, but I think now I'm more starting to get into it again, and uh, discover all, all new kinds and stuff that I've been missing over the past 20 years or so, so it's great to start finding out about everything again.
3: Yeah. How did you get into podcasting the first time around?
0: Man, I think, you know, it, it's basically like this, you know, I, I'm kind of obsessed with Jurassic Park, I love those movies, so... When I did it the previous time I'm just you know, I'm still actually obsessed with music. And that's what I did before is I had a music podcast where I tried to focus on upcoming bands. It didn't have to be specific to my area, it could have been anybody across the country. So I tried to focus on, you know, new and upcoming bands that I thought sounded great and you know, that's where I started and uh eventually I had to to give that up because everything started to uh to not work anymore, so <laughs> But I think, that's, uh, I think that's where my start for podcasting came from. You know, I, I actually listened to a ton, and I listened to them back, you know, I think it was around 2008 when I first started, and there was already a few that I, I was listening to at that point, so I kind of heard those, and I'm like, you know, I, I kind of want to do something like that, so that's where I got my start, at least. That's great. Yeah, I, I think podcasting is awesome. You know, you can literally find any kind of podcast about anything. Yeah. You know, if you're a fan of Dinosaurs, you got yours, you got Jurassic Park, you got anything. And, you know, you could be a fan of music, comics, TV shows, movies, anything. Okay. And uh, there's definitely a podcast out there for it.
3: Yep, that's true. <laughs> I wonder, uh, I know that there's some bands that are dedicated to dinosaurs. Uh, there's a band I heard about called Dinosaur Junior. Yeah. Did you listen to that as part of your music podcast?
0: Um, No, probably not back then. I uh, I honestly don't even know if I know what they sound like. I maybe if I heard them again. But I know of the band. I know the name definitely.
2: Yeah, they pop up what? in our Google alert a lot.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, I have the same thing and uh sometimes you find some strange stuff in your Google alerts when it comes to dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> I heard that um was it slash? I think it's a huge dinosaur fan.
3: No, really. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So I've heard him, actually, on a few podcasts, and uh, they start talking about dinosaurs, and they won't stop. It's pretty awesome, actually, wow. to see a guy that's, you know, been in the music scene for so long, and you only know him for one specific reason, and then all of a sudden, you know, you find out he's a huge dinosaur fan. It's pretty awesome.
3: That is. <laughs> yeah, we've come across all different kinds of people who are into dinosaurs, and it's been great getting to know them.
0: Yeah, I think it's something that people don't, like, overtly go out and say, like, I love dinosaurs, but... um uh, You know, once you start talking to them, you can find a common interest there, definitely.
3: Oh, yeah. So what can listeners expect to hear on Jurassic Park Podcast?
0: Well, like we said before, we got some news. So anything related to Jurassic Park and dinosaurs, I'll try to cover that. And then, you know, not every episode, but some episodes, I'll try to feature some audio, whether it's like a behind-the-scenes clip of any of the movies or any kind of interview or something. I just try to play a portion of it. I don't want to play the whole thing. And I always link to everything so that everybody can go and view the news stories or or watch the videos. And then I try to do, maybe not every episode as well, but I try to do a little discussion and I could just relate to anything. And then I like to try to feature stuff from the listeners because I kind of like it to be like a community podcast. You know, if you listen to it, that's great. You can be on it as well. You know, if you're a fan of Jurassic Park, you're more than worthy to come on the podcast and talk about it or I actually have. Phone number so you can call in and, you know, leave a message and we'll play it on the podcast. And we take all kinds of listener emails. And sometimes I do Twitter polls and I try to reach out to everybody on Twitter, Instagram, actually, um, Reddit, and just see what people think about certain, uh, things in the movie. And then I try to read off as much as I can on the podcast. And, and then from there I kind of just wrap it up and end the show.
3: That's really great. Yeah, I've seen some of your Twitter polls.
0: Yeah, I think those are really fun because you get a ton of involvement. You know, if I post, um, I did one about the Raptors and basically what we were talking about before is like, which is your favorite design, you know, cause there's so many variations there. So I kind of like to see what people think out there and then, you know, I I'll, I'll read their answers on the uh, show and, and kind of get everybody involved.
3: Are there any memorable answers to any of the questions you pose that stand out?
0: Yeah, there's a, uh, there's this one guy I'm kind of friends with uh, online and, Every time I post one of these polls, he always references to something uh, about Jeff Goldblum and Ian Malcolm from the movies. And uh, I think it's pretty funny how he uh, intertwines Jeff Goldblum into every one of the answers, even if it doesn't have anything to do with him. You know, it could be some answer about, uh, you know, what's your favorite scene from the movies? And and he'll say something like, you know, anything to do with Jeff Goldblum and his hands.
3: I'm like, his hands? What does that even mean? (laughs)
0: So I kind of like those answers, the ridiculous ones sometimes.
3: Yeah, that's good. How about in the news? Have you come across anything that was surprising or you found particularly interesting?
0: Yeah, pertaining to the films, actually, I think I did it on our last episode, episode 15. We discussed the kind of the shared universe of the films and how, you know, the characters from the first film and, you know, all the other films, actually, they all live in the same world. And there was a news article recently where uh, Colin Trevorrow, the director of Jurassic World, he said something about there not being a universe. I think he said, we're not creating Jurassic World universe. And I think people kind of, you know, took the quote the wrong way mm. and assumed that they're not combining all these worlds, you know, not combining the first movie and the, the third and the second and the fourth all together and making them separate. And I, I think that's kind of wrong. I don't think... Um, I don't think people took the quote the right way. So I kind of found that interesting. And I tried to, you know, get to the point and straighten it out for everybody listening and let them know they're obviously creating a shared universe because of all the references in Jurassic World. You know, there's so many references to the first film.
3: I was just going to say, yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, it's like, it's literally everywhere. So all the articles I've found recently that say, you know, Colin said it, they're not creating a shared universe. They're all wrong because these uh, references are clearly in the movie and I just wanted to point them out for everybody so they knew. So I thought that was a pretty interesting piece of news and it shouldn't have been really a piece of news, but uh, people took it and and went with it. So
2: So did you play the uh, Lego Jurassic Park and Jurassic World game at all?
0: I'm ashamed to admit it, I haven't yet.
3: (laughs) (laughs) It's pretty fun. They are fun.
0: I know. I keep looking at all kinds of videos, and I've talked to a few people who have played it, and they just say it's amazing. And, you know, I, I was going to grab it for Xbox, but I actually just moved, and there's been a lot going on, so I, I just haven't gotten a chance to uh, to play it yet.
2: Yeah. That's like the one dinosaur game we've actually gotten through. Most of the other ones, because there's a lot of dinosaur games out there. Yeah. And a lot of them recently, too.
0: Huh. Like there's... Uh, seen a ton. I'll have to check that out. There's A lot of them are like first
2: person style. Like Yeah, that's st-
0: true. Yeah, Ooh. you do see a lot of those over time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's it's one... always about shooting dinosaurs.
2: Well, some of them are. These ones, though, there's one called Ark Survival Evolved and it's huh. like you can either raise the dinosaurs or you can try to attack them and you can like learn how to ride them and stuff like that. Really? It's super in-depth, though. It's like, you know... I, I think you have to, like, log into a server, kind of like Minecraft style. Oh,
0: yeah, I was going to say it kind of sounds like that. Yeah. Huh, that sounds pretty interesting. I'd like to get into that because it seems like there's only, you know, first-person shooters, and I'm like, I don't care if we're shooting dinosaurs that <laughs> yeah. often, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah, we have the same problem. And there's another one. We were talking about Saurian last.
3: Oh, yeah, we're actually going to be interviewing the developers of Saurian soon. and Oh, yeah? Is, have you heard of that game? I haven't, actually. It's really cool. It's going to be, um, from what I gathered on the website, these dinosaurs in the Hell Creek formation and you play as them and it's a survival game, but they're also kind of, uh, the way they're programmed, they'll be able to react the way the paleontologists think they would have behaved anyway. Huh. So they're mashing science with gaming technology. Yeah. It, it looks amazing.
0: That's cool. And, and you can get that for uh, any of the current systems or is that a PC game or?
3: That, I'm not sure. I know they're independent developers. I think
2: it's still pretty early on, though.
3: Yeah, okay. They're in alpha right now.
2: (laughs) Yeah. The coolest thing, though, bringing back to Jurassic Park, that Jurassic World Lego game. I forget if it's called Lego Jurassic Park or Lego Jurassic World. But either way, the coolest thing is you can play as dinosaurs in it.
0: Yeah, I
3: heard about that. That's
0: awesome. So that's a good feature. You like that? Yeah, Um, it's really fun.
3: It's really satisfying to smash things as a (laughs) (laughs) T-Rex.
0: Oh, I can only imagine. That's got to be awesome.
2: Yeah, one of them, like, screams so loud. Oh, it's a T-Rex. It screams really loud, and it breaks stuff around it just from, like, screaming.
0: (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) You know, that brings me back to the, uh, I think it was a Sega game for Jurassic Park, you know, a while back. You could play as Grant or a Raptor, I believe. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. I liked playing as a Raptor. Yeah. So that was
2: awesome. Was that like a side-scrolling, like, Genesis game or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think it was. You know, you could only go right, <laughs> Yeah. and, you know, it just took you through a jungle, and then it took you, uh, I think there was like a riverboat or something like that, it was like maybe one of the second levels or something, but that was a pretty
2: cool game. I liked that one a lot. Yeah, I totally forgot about that one. It was really hard. That's what I remember. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was.
3: Have you covered at all any bits about Jurassic World 2? Because I know they already announced the date. <laughs> When it's coming out.
0: Yeah, we've had a lot of um, speculation episodes about that. It's kind of hard to do too much. And we don't want to overload the listeners with just all speculation. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, we only have news that Chris Pratt and Bryce Dallas Howard are coming back. That's about it, really. We know Colin Trevorrow is writing it. He's not directing anymore. He's going on to bigger, you know, bigger things with Star Wars. (laughs) (laughs) He's going to be kind of busy. But, you know, that's all we have so far. So everything we talk about really is just speculation. We try to talk about where the film left off and where they could possibly go. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of good theories, I think. But, yeah, that's about it, really.
3: What's one of your theories, if you don't mind sharing?
0: Well, actually, you know, some of those articles that Colin has uh, discussed, he he talked about open-source dinosaurs. And I guess he basically meant that other developers, like InGen, out there can go ahead and engineer their own dinosaurs. So maybe this will take off and you'll have different companies all around the world creating their own dinosaurs and maybe it goes wrong and they kind of take over the the planet in a way. Mm -hmm. And then it really becomes Jurassic world. Yeah. Yeah. So you kind of have that aspect to it. and We like to throw in this um, apocalyptic scenario. I kind of like this one a lot because, you know, if you consider dinosaurs just roaming the earth freely, Maybe they take over, and then the human race kind of, you know, goes away, and then things start to get a little bit uh, apocalyptic. That would be a pretty cool aspect, I think. But who knows? I don't know if they'll go that way.
2: Yeah, like Planet of the Apes style, but with like Planet of the Dinosaurs.
0: <laughs> exactly. That's one of the uh, reasons why I don't vote for that theory too much, is because Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, which is the most convoluted title in the history of movies, um, it's very hard to say. But um, that was essentially what I'm talking about. You know that uh, what was it? San Francisco was just covered in vines, and that's exactly the kind of scenario I'm, I'm imagining right now. But um, I think it could work for Jurassic, uh, Jurassic, Park, uh, what is it? Jurassic World now.
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't know if they'll change the title either. You know, I guess <laughs> they won't if if that's the route they go. But um, you know, every movie seems to have a little bit different of a title. So
3: that's true. I feel like opening it up in that way makes it its own type of universe, the way Star Wars has its own universe, you know, and then you've got... Yeah. I think that would open it up to fan fiction easily, and all these different side stories. If there's dinosaurs everywhere, obviously everyone's going to have their own story. Yeah.
0: Yeah, they really could expand it everywhere. You know, like you said, there could be a story um, in the United States, or a story in Africa, or, you know, then they could go back to the original island, or the second island. So there's all kinds of stories they could develop there, and they could do characters from the first films and then the new characters, so they could go
2: all kinds of places with that, definitely. I could bring Jeff Goldblum back, and you'd have to like give the dinosaurs a virus by a spaceship. <laughs> <in> the...
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he, he's coming back for uh, Independence Day 2 now, I hear. So. Oh, really? So, <laughs> so, yeah, so there's going to be a second round of viruses to to give out, I guess. <laughs> the first one wasn't good enough. Literally no explanation as to how that worked in that movie, but uh, somehow it did.
3: <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, all you need to know. That's true, yeah. <laughs> so where can listeners find your Jurassic Park podcast?
0: We are on iTunes mostly, so if you just search for the Jurassic Park podcast, you should be able to find us there. We're on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Jurassic Park Pod, and uh, that's where we do most of our stuff there. So if you find us on there, you can follow us. And you'll find a lot of our information. We are on Tumblr, Instagram, not Facebook yet, so don't look there. But usually if you just search for Jurassic Park Podcast or Jurassic Park Pod, you should be able to find us. We actually are on uh, a Flickr, too, so you can look at a, a lot of pictures and stuff that we put up if you don't like Instagram, I guess. But um, you can go to uh, Stitcher. We're on Stitcher Radio. And Podomatic, that's where we post the podcast, and I guess that's one of the main sources as well. And also SoundCloud.
3: Thank you, Brad, for being with us today. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome.
1: And now for our dinosaur of the day, Styracosaurus, which is a request via Andy from Facebook. So thanks, Andy. It's actually Andy's favorite dinosaur, and he has an awesome tattoo of Styracosaurus on his arm. It's very intricate and really cool to look at. So the name Styracosaurus means spiked lizard, and it comes from the ancient Greek word styrax, which is the steel spike at the end of a spear. It lived in the Cretaceous, and Lawrence Lamb named Styracosaurus in 1913. The first fossils were found in Alberta, Canada by C.M. Sternberg, and the Royal Ontario Museum crew revisited the quarry in 1935 and found most of the skeleton as well as the previously missing lower jaws. There's one valid species called Styracosaurus albertensis, but like many other dinosaurs, there's been a lot of debate over the validity of genera and species. Barnum Brown and his team from the American Museum of Natural History in New York found a nearly complete skeleton with a partial skull in 1915, also in Alberta's dinosaur park formation. At first, they thought it was a new species, and they named it Styracosaurus parksi after William Parks because of differences in the cheekbone from Albertensis and smaller tail vertebrae and a different frill shape. But most of the skull was reconstructed with plaster, and now it's considered another specimen of Styracosaurus albertensis. An early name of Styracosaurus parksi was Styracosaurus borealis. That was before it was officially parkside in 2006 darren tank from the royal tyrell museum went back to the site where styracosaurus parkside was found and collected more bones to test whether it actually was the same species of styracosaurus or something else there was also styracosaurus ovatus, which was described by charles gilmore in 1930 based on bones found in the two medicine formation in montana It's a partial skeleton, but one pair of its frill spikes converges towards the midline instead of away, as seen in Styracosaurus albertensis, and the spikes were shorter. In 2010, Ryan, Holmes, and Russell said that Styracosaurus ovatus was a distinct species, and then McDonald and Jack Horner put it in its own genus, Rubiosaurus. So, now it's Rubiosaurus, and not Styracosaurus. Peter Dodson said in 1996 that Centrosaurus, Styracosaurus, and Monoclonius were their own genera, and Styracosaurus is more like Centrosaurus than either were like Monoclonius. He also said that Monoclonius nasicornis may have been a female Styracosaurus instead, but most other researchers do not accept this. Other species that used to be Styracosaurus but are now in other genera, include Styracosaurus Spenoceras, named by Edward Drinker Cope in 1890, and it's now a species of Monoclonius. Styracosaurus maculae, named informally by Stephen and Sylvia Circus in 1990, but it is now Aeneosaurus. Styracosaurus was about 18 feet or 5 meters long, 6 feet or 1.8 meters tall, and weighed about 3 tons. It lived around Tyrannosaurus rex, Ankylosaurus, Corythosaurus, and Dryptosaurus. It had a distinct, fierce-looking appearance. It may be almost as famous as Triceratops.
2: Which is what makes it such a good tattoo, I think, all the cool horns it has going on.
1: Oh, definitely. A lot of intricate details. Styracosaurus was an herbivore with four to six horns on its neck frill, a smaller horn in each cheek, and a horn on its nose that was up to two feet or 60 centimeters long and six inches or 15 centimeters wide. There's a lot of debate over what these horns were used for. Its body was similar to a rhinoceros, with powerful shoulders and a short tail. It had short legs, a bulky body, and it may have charged like a rhino for defense. It may have run up to 20 miles per hour or 32 kilometers per hour. And this is based on its leg length and body mass, as well as trackways. Gregory Paul and Per Christensen from the Zoological Museum of the University of Copenhagen said, Styracosaurus and other large Ceratopsians may have run faster than an elephant, based on some Ceratopsian trackways that show it did not walk with a sprawl. If you see older images or older artworks of dinosaurs, you may notice that a lot of Ceratopsians are depicted as walking with a sprawl, more lizard-like but now scientists think differently. Styracosaurus's rear legs were longer than its front legs. There's debate over how it stood. Computer models nowadays show somewhere in between the sprawling posture and having its legs directly under it. It may have stood in a crouched position, though. Styracosaurus had a large skull with a large nostril, nose horn, neck frill with four to six large spikes or horns, and the longest one was similar in size to the nose horn. These large horns were from the upper part of the neck frill, Two pointed up and curved to the sides, and other pairs pointed directly to the sides. One of the most complete Styracosaurus skulls had a bent frill that may have been crushed during fossilization, but it made it look like the frill went downward and came out directly behind its skull. And so the first paintings and sketches portray this, that's from the 1910s. In the type specimen of Styracosaurus, the horn is about 20 inches or 57 centimeters long, but it's only a partial horn. Based on horns of other Styracosaurus and Centrosaurus, paleontologists think the horn may have now had a rounded point, and it may have also been blunt-tipped and actually shorter than previously thought. Individual Styracosaurus had slightly different-looking skulls, and they all had the four frill spikes and large nasal horn, but some had small hook-like projections and knobs on their frills, which would have been similar to Centrosaurus. Some had an extra pair of long frill spikes or horns, and subadults had smaller brow horns than adults. In one specimen, the base of the smallest frill spike is partially overlapped by the next spike, but the frill may have broken at some point and was shortened by 2 inches or 6 centimeters. Scientists used to think the frills and horns were used in defense and that holes and damage on the skulls are from combat, but a 2006 study found no evidence of this because there's no evidence of infection or healing, and instead the damage may have been caused by non-pathological bone resorption or unknown bone diseases. But there's a more recent study that found that skull lesions in Triceratops and Centrosaurus, which, again, Centrosaurus is very similar to Styracosaurus, were consistent with using horns to fight and the frill used as protection. And they said that the damages found in the 2006 study were too localized to be caused by bone disease. Although it was a Ceratopsian, Styracosaurus probably fought differently from Triceratops. A team in 2009 compared skulls of Centrosaurus and and Triceratops, and scars on Triceratops skulls were consistent with horns locking, but it was rare in Centrosaurus, probably because Centrosaurus and Styracosaurus did not have large horns above its eyes for protection. Dr. Andrew Fark, who was part of the study, said that maybe they flank-butted instead, or they didn't use their horns for fighting. Horns were probably not used for defense since the horn and frill shapes were often changing in Ceratopsian genera, and some became smaller in certain genera, which wouldn't protect it against tyrannosaurs, and if it was used for protection, scientists think it would have stabilized, the way we see what happened with ankylosaurs and their club tails. Richard Swan Lowell suggested that Ceratopsians use their frills as anchor points for their jaw muscles, and that the spikes in Styracosaurus would also have made it look more formidable. John McLaughlin also said, independently, that the frills were anchors for large jaw muscles, the frill buried in flesh, but most paleontologists think that they were used for display. In 1996, Dodson said that the frills were muscle attachments, but did not think that they filled in the fenestrae, and C.A. Forrester found no evidence of large muscle attachments on frill bones. The frills may have regulated body temperature the way a large ears on an elephant regulates body temperature. But the primary function is thought to have been display, to attract mates. Davida Shavili proposed this in 1961. Each species of horned dinosaurs has different adornments, and they may have been used for social behavior or for mating, similar to what modern species do. They may have flushed blood into their frills for color displays. Ceratopsians had underdeveloped horns as hatchlings, and the horns signaled maturity, so these horns may have helped them identify their own species and made it easy for them to court each other. Styrocosaurus probably ate low-growing vegetation, though they may have been able to knock down taller plants. They may have also eaten palms and cycads or ferns, or they may have knocked down angiosperm trees and sheared off leaves. Their jaws had a deep, narrow beak that was easy to grasp and pluck, but not easy to bite. They had cheek teeth arranged as dental batteries, and they could probably slice up their plants with their beak. Their teeth sliced, but did not grind, unlike hadrosaurs, and they continually replaced their teeth. Bone beds show that styracosaurus may have lived in herds. There was a bone bed found in the Dinosaur Park Formation in Alberta, and it's associated with multiple river deposits. But this may have happened due to animals hanging around a waterhole during a drought, and this may have been a seasonal semi-arid environment. If styracosaurus clustered together, they could have protected themselves from tyrannosaur attacks. They're not good at one-on-one, since the horns one-on-one would not have been enough. Styracosaurus is seen in the media a fair amount. It's in the western movie The Valley of Guanji in 1969. And Guanji is based on a T-Rex and Allosaurus, and there's a horseman that takes down an angry Styracosaurus. And the movie was done in stop motion. There's also an action sequence with Styracosaurus in the 1933 King Kong movie, but it was cut and instead Styracosaurus made it into the sequel Son of Kong, which also came out in 1933. Styracosaurus appears in a few Land Before Time movies, including Land Before Time 7, the stone of cold fire, and they're called far walkers. They walked in a herd. There was also one scene with an oranosaurus in the beginning of the Land Before Time ten, the Great Long Neck Migration, and the Land Before Time eleven, invasion of the tiny sauruses, as well as some episodes of the TV series. And you can see they made a a giant franchise out of the Land Before Time. <laughs> Styracosaurus is also a featured dinosaur in the game Zoo Tycoon, Dinosaurs Digs, the expansion, and Dino Danger Pack, an expansion for Zoo Tycoon 2. Thanks to Cole, our patron from Patreon, for letting us know that fun fact. And he also told us about, in 2000, Styrocosaurus was portrayed in Disney's Dinosaur, and the only talking Styracosaurus was the elderly Ema, who befriended the Iguanodon Aladar. And she had a pet ankylosaur named Uri. And apparently in the original story for Dinosaur, the plan was to have the protagonist be a Styracosaurus, and Aladar possibly would have taken the role of Ima. Styracosaurus also appears in Dinosaur, a ride at Disney's Animal Kingdom in Walt Disney World. And it's the first dinosaur that you see, and the ride is called Countdown to Extinction. And I guess originally a model of Styracosaurus was shown on the exterior, but it's been replaced with the Iguanodon Aladar, which makes sense. And back to the game, Styracosaurus has been also in the 1999 fighting genre game Warpath Jurassic Park, as well as the 2003 popular theme park management video game Jurassic Park Operation Genesis. Thank you again, Cole, for sharing these facts with us. Lastly, there is also a website which we'll post on our blog, so you can try this out too. It gives you instructions to make a cutout puppet of Styracosaurus, which looks like it could be a lot of fun. So, Styracosaurus is part of the suborder Marginus cephalia, and it's also a Ceratopsian. Ceratopsidae are quadrupedal herbivores that lived in the Cretaceous, mostly North America, though some were in Asia. They have beaks, teeth in the back of their jaw, and horns and frills. The horns and frills were probably used for display, and they may have lived in herds. Their predators were Tyrannosaurids. Other Ceratopsians include Leptoceratops, Pachyrhinosaurus, Montanoceratops, Chasmosaurus, Centrosaurus, Triceratops, and Protoceratops. Ceratopsians may have originated in Asia during the Jurassic. This is based on Yinglong, the first known Jurassic Ceratopsian. And true horned Ceratopsians were in the late Cretaceous in North America. There's two subfamilies, Chasmosaurinae and Centrosaurinae, that we go into much more detail about in episode 28. But the difference can be summarized as Chasmosaurinae have long frills and large brow horns, and Centrosaurinae have nasal horns, shorter frills, and spines on the back of the frill. And again, there's more on this in episode 28. Styracosaurus was part of the subfamily Centrosaurinae. Other Centrosaurinae include Pachyrhinosaurus, Avaceratops, and Albertaceratops. Styracosaurus may have replaced Centrosaurus, which may be why they are so similar. This is based on bone bed deposits that show that they lived in the same area but at different times. So the idea is that Styracosaurus albertensis may have descended from Centrosaurus and then evolved into Rubiosaurus ovatus which, again, used to be considered a species of Styracosaurus, but is now in its own genera. And this is because the way the horns were arranged changed slightly over time. But the lineage may not be that simple.
2: And our fun fact of the day is that Ankylosaurus has a very low encephalization quotient of about 0.5, which is about like a mouse, meaning it has a similar intelligence to a mouse, which is a lot lower than almost all the other dinosaurs. Except for sauropods that are about 0.2, which is similar to an armadillo.
1: And I'm not a fan of this fun fact because my favorite dinosaur is a sauropod. I feel like Garrett is just picking on the sauropods. <laughs>
2: but my favorite's Ankylosaurus, and it's not that smart either.
1: But it's not the dumbest either.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, that's true.
1: <laughs> so thanks.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. So again, we're really close to our goal of getting enough money to buy some new equipment for this podcast, especially to make our interviews sound better, as well as our own voices would sound better if we could get some nicer microphones and a nice mixer and stuff like that. We'd really appreciate any support you could give us by going to patreon.com slash inodino, and that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. and there's a nice little video there that'll explain everything, and you can see a little bit of our recording space and some of our dinosaur memorabilia and books in the background of a couple of the shots. So thanks again for all the support.
1: And that wraps up this episode of I Know Dino. Thanks for listening and until next time.
0: Thank you for listening to I Know Dino. If you have any questions or comments about dinosaurs, we'd like to hear from you at plesiosaur at iknowdino.com. And for more information on dinosaurs, go to iknowdino.com. Or follow us on Google, Facebook, Tumblr, or Twitter at iknowdino.